Today on the Art Support, Murder Mystery, The 13th Chair at Studio 58, Pacific Cinematech's Frames of Mind series celebrates 10 years with crazy love, a preview of local elections this Saturday, and books. Plus, we've got free tickets to see two merchants at UBC Theatre, and uh, free tickets for a preview screening of Hugo, which is in cinemas next week. So stay with us. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for November the 16th, 2011. My name is Adam Janusz and the Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca. On today's show, we're going to tell you about Studio 58's uh, latest production. It's called The 13th Chair. Um, I was... I uh, I did the, this interview about an hour ago, an hour ago, and was told not to spoil about someone getting murdered. Oh. Yeah, I might have even spoiled it just by mentioning just, it that someone oh, gets murdered. It. That's why I hesitated just now. But all right, <laughs> someone gets murdered. But yeah, I don't think I've, I'm, I'm I'm safe. I'm safe. I didn't give anything away. Also, we'll tell you about Pacific Cinema Tech's Frames of Mind, uh, or you know, the latest installment of Pacific Cinema Tech's Frames of Mind. Which is a film event series. I, I struggled to find a, an appropriate moniker for it, but it's where they show, they screen a film, and then they take a psychological and mental health issue from the film and have um, a significant conversation about the, that issue. So this time uh, the issue is domestic violence. And so uh, we'll find out about uh, both the film, uh, Crazy Love, which apparently is, is just on its own, is a spectacular movie and is extremely thought-provoking, but also um, stimula- stimulates a lot of um, dialogue about uh, the issue of domestic violence, and that will be happening tonight at 7.30 at Pacific Cinema Tech. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that, and then we'll also talk a little bit about the local elections, because they are, of course, this Saturday all over the Lower Mainland, including the city of Vancouver, where Gregor Robertson and his Vision Vancouver team are up for re-election. So we'll look at some, uh, look at it from the artist's point of view and talk about a little bit of uh, coverage that uh, has been going on in the local media uh, from the point of view of artists and what some artists are saying and sort of a, a attention they've that artists have been getting in the news for who they uh, support. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, artists, well, some artists anyway, are supporting Vision and, uh, and re-electing Gregor Robertson. But uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. And then we have uh, books. Megan Thomas, our regular books correspondent, is here to tell us about the Governor General's awards that were given out. And she will give us the scoop on that, as well as Canzine. She'll talk about that. That happened last week. All right, so before we get on... With the the show, I want to mention two things that I saw and heard in the last 24 hours. Yes. Uh-oh. Very fresh. No, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> these are good things that happened. Um, one uh, thing was a movie that I saw last night, uh, which is The Immortals. Yeah, big blockbuster movie, uh, sort of a 300-esque Greek comic book style, you know, in terms of, like, sensational and um, eye-popping visuals and uh, very gory violence. Oh, my God. Talk about gory violence. Anna's a fan of gory violence? Yes. (laughs) And um, I have to say I really liked it, and I don't want to take up, you know, precious uh, airtime on the Arts Report to talk about a big Hollywood movie, but, you know, these movies usually suck really hard. You know, it's a big action film, and usually the first thing to go in these big action epics is uh, plot. And... um, and, and story, and I was really pleasantly surprised that it had, uh, first of all, a comprehensible plot. You know, a lot of these Greek ep- epics, they're, they're like, the son of Zeus has proclaimed that you shall be the one to transpire into the past for the future. And it's like, what are you people talking about? What? Like, why? Well, just go and fight now. Come on. We all just know this is a big setup for you to fight uh, some ogre or witch <laughs> were there witches in ancient Greece I don't think so no I don't think so but so usually yeah but usually it's very convoluted right it's just this very convoluted plot where it's like oh no we have to um, 
get through all this Greek mythology before the action scene. All right, spill it on four pages of, of the script. But instead, it was a very, very simple, like, easy-to-follow uh, script. You, you understood what was happening and how each scene progressed to the other. And, and there, was a, there was a few uh, themes even running uh, through the story. Yes, themes. Can you imagine? Uh, a Hollywood epic that has uh, has consistent themes that run through it, and one of them was the power of of giving life. Like several times, they just casually uh, make reference to you know one one uh, I think the king, the evil villain king played by uh, Mickey Rourke, who's phenomenal, um, and he says that uh, a man's greatest weapon is his seed, because um, because well because if you have a kid, your kid can sort of avenge you and um and and be the ultimate sort of uh, symbol of your strength and legacy and legacy exactly thank you that's the word i'm looking for um which was interesting and then and then after he said that uh, several other times in the movie that sort of quietly sort of slips into the dialogue about about how you know powerful that can be to to go forth and, and produce another generation um that was interesting and then there was another theme not not so subtle as that one about um about if you don't believe... Basically, this is the theme. Uh, if you don't believe in God, you will get your head cut off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but there's definitely, if you, if, you, you know, if you pick up on these things, if you're paying attention to like, oh, what are they trying to say here underneath the text? There, there's this king who, who says that, oh, we don't have to worry about the, the enemy army. Uh, I'm sure if we just negotiate and think rationally, it'll be okay. And then that king ends up getting his head cut off. Oh. And, and the king also says, like, oh, gods, oh, those are just metaphors, my son. Those are just symbols. They are not meant to be taken seriously. And then he gets his head cut off. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what are you trying to say? If you don't, if you don't believe, you'll, you'll die. Anyway, so there's a few things like that running around. Anyway, so now I have given up uh, some a significant amount of time to the immortals. But I, I was just surprised. You know, I expected crap. And I, Did and you I got, like 300? I didn't like the first time I see it, saw it, but... Uh, I had the second time. Is your mic on? No. No. There we go. Hi, Anna. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. I have been yapping in the background. Yeah, there's a host of uh, Discorded Radio, as oh. well as our uh, local... Our local... Our, um, I'm local. Yeah, Polish. you're locally here. I mean, our <laughs> regular... Our producer. Our local... <laughs> All right, this is getting weird. All right, let's move on. The other thing I wanted to touch on was something I heard on Q, uh, everyone's favorite, um, <laughs> everyone's second favorite arts program after the Arts Report oh, is yeah. uh, Q on CBC Radio. Oh, yeah. And um, I don't remember the fellow's name, but he, uh, it's a fellow who does a regular segment where he rants or raves about something. And he was uh, ranting um, about the value or maybe the lack thereof of, of judging art as good or bad. And he was saying... Why do you? Why do we always have to sort of reduce something to good or bad? bad? Yeah. And it's and and he gave the example of his father. Uh, and when he was twenty years old, he went with his father to some art show where it was like you know the squiggly lines and and spatter. You know the kind of art that people look at and go, you know, my my four year old could have made this. You know, mm-hmm. this is selling for a thousand dollars. And that's what his father was saying. Is you know he asked or he asked his father, what uh, you know? Do you think this this art is good? And he says, well. You know, I'm not really interested in, in whether it's good or not. I mean, we're here. We're looking at it. We are being... We're forming opinions on it. We're, we're, we have reactions. We have a, a visceral, you know, reaction to what we're seeing. There's other people in this room. So in that respect, you could say it's, it's, it's a success. You know, it's, it's stimulating. It's challenging. It is art. And then he pauses and he's like, but, I mean, I think it's absolute rubbish, but... but it's just it it was just interesting to hear that because there's definitely been a few um performance pieces that i've seen in the last year uh namely one i saw at the push fest last year that that made kind of changed my point of view in the sense that i left it thinking to myself i didn't really like this show i didn't think it was good and yet i can't stop thinking about it or i can't stop um you know, wondering about how they did this or, you know what I mean? And, and I, I ended up very stimulated by it. You still remember it. Yeah, and, and it was very memorable and there were things, there were elements from it that I would want to, you know, incorporate in any artwork that I do. But at the same time, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And so for, at first I was like, well, how does that work? I mean, 
if I didn't like it, then I didn't like it. End of story. It's like, no, maybe there's a way to appreciate something without having to put a stamp of, like, me likey. Or this is good enough or, or not really. Yeah, or bad. Because you know, if you say, it's, well, it's bad, then, then it's just, it just gets uh, discarded as if it has no value at all. But some, and so it's kind of weird to think that something can be, quote-unquote, bad. Like, subjectively, you could say, like, I did not like this, and yet still sort of take away value from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the important things at the end is that they raise questions. Regardless, that should be the scale, maybe. Instead I mean, is that what art is supposed to be about? Raising stimulation and raising questions. I would, I would just focus on that. Yeah. Yeah, and then the judgment, whether it's good or bad, should be about your own personal taste. Personal you know? taste, That's, right? That that you can't help it. And there's going to be some <laughs> some people that agree with you, some people that disagree with you, and it's generally when the my the most people agree it's good, mm-hmm. or the people on the top. Agree, it's mm-hmm. good. Then, the people buying the art. <laughs> then you're going to a museum and buying, you know, a twenty dollars admission ticket to see mm-hmm. this and just stare at it. And then someone next to you says, "This is rubbish." Right. Right. So it's whether it's it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's completely irrelevant. No, not irrele- irrelevant because that's how mm. many artists but make it. So beside they, the point. Yeah. <laughs> well, in regards in into a. Like trying to answer the question of what art is, right? I think so. Right, art. Uh, the quality of art shouldn't be determined by how many people buy it or or go to see exactly. it in terms of performance. It art. just determines whether that artist is making money out of it or not. <laughs> right. Really. Yeah. Which again is a whole it's, yeah. other kettle of fish. You know, you can have a lot of rich artists who, you know, people say are just rubbish. Yeah. But they're rich. Exactly. Right. But the, yeah, and you have to kind of reconcile that too. Obviously, they're doing something right. Yeah. Right. But it's not necessarily good art. Depends on who is looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, we're spinning out of control here. You go on forever. What is art? What is art? Oh boy, the eternal struggle. But right. it is a good question to address in the arts report for sure. Okay. So well, we've good. got um, this. Uh, other than um, discussing what is art, we we have things to give away. Hey, that's fun. Um, we want to give you a pair of tickets to an advanced screening of uh, Hugo in 3D, and this is a, a film. Uh, sort of geared for younger audiences, maybe, but it's uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. So, hey, it's got to be good. And <laughs> free tickets. There that's, you go. That's got to work, too. Also, later in the show, we'll give away tickets to The Two Merchants, which is playing at uh, UBC Theatre. Um, so stay tuned for both of those a little bit later in the show. But first, we're going to tell you about The 13th Chair. Now, The 13th Chair... Oh, excuse me. i try that again. The 13th Chair is a murder mystery, first written in 1916, and it's being performed at Studio 58 starting tomorrow. And their creative team, headed by director Sarah Rogers, is creating a 1920s feel for the audience, not only with sets, costumes, and a, and a, as well as an ebullient acting style, but even live jazz in the theater. Andrea Hoosen and Joel Ballard are two actors in The 13th Chair, and I spoke to both of them about the unique challenge of breathing new life into a play written in 1916, and they even serenaded me with a song from the show. But first, here's Andrea to tell us what The 13th Chair is about. Well, it's uh, a classic murder mystery, possibly one of the first ever written. So uh, a bunch of swells who... uh, have some people over for a dinner party, and someone gets murdered during a seance. And the rest of the play is trying to figure out who done it. And tell me uh, about the feel and the the environment, um, the culture, let's say, of the show. It's late 1920s. What's, uh, what's the vibe like? Yeah, so this play definitely takes place in the late 1920s. The, the feel we're given, we're, where the play takes place is at one of the... Um, upper classes mansion so it's um everyone is of of a higher class and everyone's having their drinks and smoking their cigarettes and so we've sort of bookmarked this show with um a vaudevillian feel so the idea is that the audience is coming to this vaudeville theater and then at this vaudeville theater you will see the show the 13th chair so it's not studio 58 it's you're going to this 1920s vaudeville theater and while you're there, you're going to get to see a show. And I understand there's also live music. There is. There Tell is. me about that. Well, we have uh, four show tunes taken from the 20s era that uh, Joel and I are singing throughout the show. 
Wow, that's awesome. So people will be very much immersed in the 1920s uh, world. Fantastic. And Joel, um, you're a graduate of Studio 58. I just wonder, uh, because Studio 58 does this sort of thing a lot, where um, where alumni come in and work with the students. What um, what have you? Uh, what's the experience been working with uh, students? Well, it's been uh, it's been really interesting for me because I think my experience might be a little different than the other people who usually who they usually bring back. Because when they do bring back guest artists, I guess they call them. Mm-hmm. It's usually as a learning experience for the other students who are still in the program right. to work with a professional, but uh, I only graduated in April, so <laughs> mine's a special <laughs> circumstance where I'm more uh, filling a gap. But uh, it's been, uh, for me, it's just been it's been like coming home. I just had a really long summer, and right. I'm back. So it's it really didn't feel like I've been gone for that long at all so it doesn't feel like you're necessarily um sort of uh, educating the uh, no, it, the younger I ones <laughs> i when when i came here was my intention was not to be not to help them learn from me as artists but more to just uh play around and share in this fun experience good stuff and andrea what's it what's it like working with joel wow <laughs> 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 no, it's it's been really great having Joel back. Uh, he and I had a, a brief experience working on 1984 together mm-hmm. last season, but now I, I get to share scenes with him and uh, have have a greater experience working with Joel, and it's just been such a pleasure. What I was saying to Joel is that it, it's, it's really great just as an ensemble, as part of our learning experience, to learn from each other. So, you know, Joel has just graduated, but there's a lot that I can learn from him. You know, as, as I'm sure he's learning from us as mm-hmm. as part of our ensemble. Now, just back to the play quickly. I understand it was written in 1916, and uh, I just wonder uh, for you as actors, what challenges that brings to the table? Maybe in terms of uh, the language, or or maybe the subject matter. How do you keep it um, fresh? Well, the language um, it it feels old sometimes, <laughs> and the punctuation is a little off. Um, but it's uh, it's it's been fun to bring this really old, obscure work back back to life. Something that I found really interesting about this style of theater and this type of play is when, I mean, the way acting has evolved over the different years, the way people act now and the way people would have acted in 1920 or 1916 or whatever this play was first put on mm-hmm. has, um, has evolved, just like we evolve in everything we do. So it's been interesting to go back and find the moments like everything was a lot grander back then so it's been really interesting to find that style of theater and relive in that style of theater right so it has a sort of ostentatious kind of proudness to it totally <laughs> totally it's, it's definitely big <laughs> right and and with the, and with the mix of having music and theater it's um a, a bit of a throwback to vaudeville days where on the bill there would be acrobats and singers and joke tellers yeah. all in the same night. So that's that's our, our way of bringing the 20s back to 2011. <laughs> that's great. Um, is there anything else you'd want to say about uh, the 13th chair? Come see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, fun. it's so fun. It's so fun to do, and it's going to be a, a wonderful evening for, for the audience members. Appropriate for all ages. And I personally think that everyone is going to love this show. It's, it's light, it's fun, it's stylized, it's catchy. It's a fun-filled family entertainment. That's right. <laughs> awesome. And I understand you have a, uh, a musical sample to share with us. Mm, yes, uh, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, so this song is a little ditty called uh, Button Up Your Overcoat. Which you may recognize. Button up your overcoat when the wind is free. Take good care of yourself. You belong to me. Yeah, it does have like a nice old-time radio kind of sound to it, doesn't it? That was uh, Andrea Hoosen and Joel Ballard from The 13th Chair, which is coming to Studio 58 at Langara College. And uh, the shows uh, run Tuesday to Saturday at 8 p.m. And then there are matinees Saturday and Sunday 
at 3 p.m. And this all gets started, kicks off uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night. Um, so check that out. There are no shows Mondays. And back by popular demand is $10 Talkback Tuesdays. Tickets uh, range from $17 to $22, and previews, which includes uh, tomorrow and, I believe, uh, Friday, so that's November 17th and 18th, those are $12. So you can check it out for a little bit uh, a little bit discounted if you go tomorrow or Friday for $12 to see the 13th chair at Studio 58, and uh, you can get tickets by going to tickets.tonight.ca. You can also go to uh, citr.ca right now and get the scoop uh, from our website. Uh, find the link to Studio 58 from, from us. So check that out. All right. So we're going to take a quick quick break. But when we return, we're going to tell you about uh, books. So uh, stay with us. And we're also going to give those tickets away to see Hugo in 3D uh, next Monday, and also to see Two Merchants, which is both a theater experience and a, a science experiment happening here at UBC Theater. Uh, tickets we have uh, for uh, tomorrow night, Thursday. So um, stay with us. For the 16th year in a row, the Amnesty International Film Festival is bringing a great selection of groundbreaking and award-winning films to Vancouver audiences interested in human rights, social justice, and the state of the environment. Plan now to attend November 17th through 20th at SFU Harbour Centre. The full program to the Amnesty International Film Festival is available at amnestyfilmfest.ca. The Amnesty International Film Festival is proudly sponsored by CITR. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 11.9 FM, and we're streaming online as well, citr.ca. Yes, <laughs> we're on the interwebs, as well as the radio waves. So, uh, it's now time for uh, books, and uh, Megan Thomas, our regular books correspondent, will be here. Actually, before we get started with books, uh, I do want to mention uh, that we're going to do a book club. Before the end of uh, the year, the Arts Report is going to do uh, a book club uh, probably the first or second week of December, and we're going to do Beggar's Garden, which is a very renowned new book that takes place, at, that features stories from the downtown east side. That's f Frank's phone. Uh, is ringing. Frank from Rumbletone. <laughs> um, but anyway, what was I saying? Yes, uh, Beggar's Garden, uh, a very renowned book, stories from the downtown east side. And so we're going to get uh, a crack panel of experts um, to read the book and, um, and share it. So if you've been thinking of maybe reading that book or looking for something to read in the next few weeks, definitely check out Beggar's Garden. And then that way we can, we can share it together. Yeah. That's going to be great. Okay, so now uh, it's time for books. Books, books, books. All right, and here is Megan to uh, tell us about the GGs and canzines and more. Hey Arts Reports fans, it's your favorite paper pusher Megan here. First off, the Governor General Literary Awards were announced yesterday. I know you already all know this, I know you've been following it religiously, but I just thought just in case I'd give you an update on this year's awards. Specifically, um, we have two winners that have a bit of a local connection. So the winners this year were From Then to Now, A Short History of the World by Christopher Moore, and that's for children's text. Winner of Drama is If We Were Birds by Aaron Shields. We have nonfiction Mordecai, The Life and Times by Charles Foran. It's Mordecai Richler. We have Partita for Glenn Gould, which is a translation by Donald Winkler. We have Ten Birds by Sibel Young, children's illustration. And for fiction, very exciting, we have Patrick DeWitt's The Sisters Brothers. Patrick DeWitt, Vancouver-born, and now uh, resides in Portland. He also won the Rogers Writers Trust for this title. It's his second novel, and uh, it's his second major win this season. He took home the Writers Trust Fiction Prize, handed out on the first... It's taken home quite the amount of cash. So if anyone ever tells you that being a writer is not lucrative, um, well, first of all, it's true. Uh, that is true. But second of all, you can. You can win a little bit of money. I know that uh, the story with Patrick DeWitt is that he was just on the verge of taking a day job 
when he got a grant uh, from the Governor General's Trust. So I think that, uh, you know, it can be a little dicey there, but you can do uh, some really great things as a writer financially as well as critically. Then we have uh, Killdeer. Now, for poetry, this is Phil Hall. Now, Phil Hall uh, lived in Vancouver in the early 80s. He was the member of the Vancouver Industrials Writers Union and the Vancouver Men Against Rape Collective. So very involved in the community here. Um, and what I thought, thought was uh, great about Hall is that uh, he's described as uh, a surrealist. So that's a rural writer and a surrealist. And a terrorist. So township-specific regionalist. Now these are the kind of puns you really have to see. Um, but I think you get the gist of it. Um, I flipped through uh, Kildeer at a local store, and it's excellent. I think uh, I think they both are very deserving of the win. So, Kildeer by Phil Hall, The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. Now, on Sunday, uh, I had some fun at the Broken Pencil Canzine West, as I had mentioned last week, and it was really great. I got to table uh, for the Vancouver Book Club, and we also got to, uh, you know, hang out with Discorder, which is always there at these local events. I met a lot of great people. A um, couple of notable mentions. We had uh, we met with Jeff from Philip, which is a really interesting uh, publication of art, culture, and ideas. Three times a year by the Projectile Publishing Society from Vancouver, BC. And, uh, you know, you can see it at philip.ca. Now, they do a lot of really great events. So what I'd like you to do is check out their website and look at their recent and upcoming events. Intangible Economies is coming up. So this is Philip and Artspeak are presenting a three-day forum uh, focusing on the notion of economy, but outside the idea of finances. And it focuses on, and I'm quoting from the website right now, multifarious forms of exchange fueled by affect and desire and speculatively investigates the fundamental role these affective transactions play in modes of representation and accordingly in cultural production. End quote. Of course, end quote, because I couldn't come up with that. That's genius. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We also talked to Rice Paper. Uh, they currently have the hybrid issue is out. And I actually talked with Patricia, who is the managing editor. Um, they are looking for submissions. Um, now, their current issue is the hybrid issue. And it, I flipped through it. It's great. It has um, some new fiction. It, has, uh, it explores identity and uh, mixed race. And I actually uh, studied a little bit of hybridity in... Uh, school, looking at actually South Asian culture. And I tell you, it's fascinating. It looks a lot at personal identity, cultural identity, community, and self-identity. So I definitely check out their most recent issue. They're calling for submissions right now on faith and philosophy. Go over to ricepapermagazine.ca. Uh, and one final thing, we ran into this author and self-publisher. He has a great literary anthology out right now called Fathers. Just an amazing collection. Alice Munro, Margaret Atwood, Kafka, <laughs> Plath, Cohen, Mordecai Richler. They even have an excerpt from Alison Bechdel's Fun Home, which is amazing exploration of fatherhood uh, in a graphic novel. He was talking to us a little bit at the, the Vancouver Book Club booth about, you know, how he got interested. He was a tutor for a long time, and his pupils were always complaining about issues with their fathers. And I think this got him involved with looking at uh, what people had said in literature about fathers while he was trying to understand these kids. Self-published, started uh, Patrimore Press. Uh, now, it's actually a great little pun. A Patrimore is a book, essay, poem, play, or film built around memories of the author's father. So hopefully we'll be able to get him out uh, to books in the next little while. We can talk to him a little bit more about this anthology. Uh, I know it's available in select bookstores, and I would really... Uh, this is going to be a great gift for fathers this year. We have poetry, essays, nonfiction, stories, and like I said, a graphic novel. So check that out as well. Uh, really interesting character, and hopefully we'll be able to have him on in the next few weeks. Okay, great. Thanks, everyone. Um, I want to remind everyone to call in and donate to the Fun Drive. It starts... Tomorrow with Dunkin's Donut. So call in. Make sure that you donate to the Arts Report, obviously. If you want to put in the memo, books, that's fine. I want to know 
if people are loving the segment. Uh, you can check us out at citr.ca slash fun drive and please call in, donate. Let's keep this great, uh, this great station running at full steam. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, Megan, uh, for making uh, that book segment and also for the plug for our fun drive. Yes, CITR is doing its annual fundraising drive over the next... Uh, I think it's eight, yes, eight days starting tomorrow. And we'll have a special fun drive show next Wednesday. And um, what, Anna? We're going to team up. Oh, we're going to team up, yes. Uh, Anna, who not only does the art support, but also hosts Discord or radio uh, every other Wednesday at 6 p.m., will be doing sort of a a double fundraiser extravaganza. And uh, we're going to try to uh, interview some, some CITR hosts, some programmers. Such as Frank from Rumbletone. <gasps> that would be great. Yeah, hopefully yeah. his cell phone won't ring uh, when he's on with us, <laughs> like it did when I was on the air about it five minutes ago. just makes him human, you know? It's okay. <sighs> really? I thought I was a robot. But everyone has a cell phone now. True, true. Well, oh, plus I'm thinking of Nardwar. That's the robot. That's <laughs> <laughs> He's a rock and roll robot. He's an interview robot. Man, that guy can interview yeah. like nobody's business. Oh, yeah. You know, when I started at CITR, uh, he was doing... A workshop right around the same time that I started here, and uh, for interviewing. And I went with him on a on a gig uh, at the Biltmore. There was this band from Florida, and uh, and and he kind of took me along for this this interview. And he showed me the notes. He showed me the little cue cards that he has, and he had like pages and pages of obscure references about this Florida band. And then he also gave me a, a camera to record, just keep me busy to record the actual interview. And because he puts some of them on YouTube and stuff like that, and he. Even had questions during the the interview. He even asked them about like, is there a McDonald's in your town in Florida on the corner of Eighth Street? And they're all like, Whoa! How did you know that? Because you know they're from Florida and they're all the way in Canada. Like and, a healer. Yeah, and so they don't. You know, nobody. Ex- yeah, yeah. He just puts his hand on their forehead and reads their minds. Um, but he really. And then he he had a question about uh, like in your in the notes in your liner notes of your CD in the back of your CD cover, you thanked uh, two people with the same last name. Is there a story there? And they're like, whoa, yeah, there is a story about that. And I was like, this man is a genius. Um, Anyway, so uh, that is good time. So don't forget to donate. There's no segue there. I I felt a bit awkward. But uh, going from Nardwar. Oh, Nardwar is a great part of CITR. and um, you should donate. Exactly. So Nardwar can keep happily doing his great interviews. Magical interviews, yes. Yeah, so that starts tomorrow. And you can get... uh, the the leg up on that by by doing what by going to the website going to citr.ca and there's a yellow button on the right and it says donate now and you can uh, plug in your credit card numbers and uh, and give some money and you can even donate to your favorite show specifically to let everybody know uh, what show you're listening to and you can do that for the art support even or maybe Discord or radio yeah, yeah or both uh, whatever you, you feel like and help uh, help keep the lights on in the studio and uh, and help uh, and help with uh, headphones, because we're always losing headphones. Yeah, we need headphones. Please. Headphones that work on both ears, hey? Anna? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so help us have headphones with two ears. All right, so we're going to play... What are we going to do now? We're going to play a song, and we're going to give away tickets. Haha. All right. We want to give tickets to see The Two Merchants tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. at the TELUS Studio Theatre. This is a unique show because it's The Merchant of Venice done in two versions uh, using the Arab-Israeli conflict. So in one version, the Shylock is uh, is Jewish in a Muslim society, and in the other version, he is uh, Muslim in a Jewish society. Yeah, did I get that right? I think I did. Anyway, they're switched. And... Um, and while you watch these two shows, there are researchers that are sort of taking notes on the audience experience, if you will. And after the show, you may volunteer uh, your opinions. You can hang out, have a drink, and tell the experimenters, uh, playmakers, to um, what you thought. You can tell them what you thought of the shot and gi- of the show and give them feedback because they, they, they are actually looking for feedback because it is a doctoral research project. Ha! Huh, how cool is that? Usually I just rant to people after the show and like, you stranger, I couldn't tell you what I thought of that show. But this time it's actually useful. So we want to give you two tickets. So give us a call right now. Oh, and uh, sorry, give us a call when we play a song. I'll throw out the number to you and then Anna will tell us what song that we're going to hear. Uh, the number is 604-822-2487. That's 604-822-2487. 
1-800-227-1087 and we will give you two tickets to see the two merchants at the Telestudio Theater here at UBC at the Chance Center at 7.30 p.m. Regular, uh, it's running until the 19th, by the way, and um, and tickets are 10 bucks for students, uh, $22 regular. Um, so do check that out at theater.ubc.ca. All right, so when uh, the song is playing, we're going to give away those tickets, but what, what song will we be playing, Anna? Song song we'll be playing is um, I really wanted to promote this this band coming last Thursday. I said so in the Discorder show, but what is this band? This band is called Baseku Kuyate and Gnoniba. Where are they from? With such an exotic name, they are from Mali, Mm -hmm. and they've been around for at least well, they've been playing for forever. They're all family members. Yeah. And uh, Baseku Kriyate, he's the leader of the band. And, and the thing is, they play the gnoni, which is this instrument, this little tiny guitar. Not Well, it doesn't really look like a guitar. Uh, it's very cool looking. You need to <laughs> Google this. And um, But they call it an ancestor to the banjo. Oh, cool. So it's very like a virtuoso little instrument. And all the family plays this. And they're amazing, and they played at the at uh, St. James Hall. Yeah, and how was that? And that was lots of fun. That was uh, very interesting to see all this white people dancing to African music. <laughs> white people <laughs> getting a groove on to African music. <laughs> it was it was good, and like it's it's really good when you see Vancouverites dancing to stuff. So what Vancouverites yes, were they actually were dancing, shaking? They were shaking their little tushes. <laughs> And this is too what they were shaking their <laughs> their tushes too. <laughs> their tushes All right. too. This is Baseko Kriati, and the song is titled "Bambugu Blues." CITR one hundred one point nine FM. This is not playing. There it is. Not playing. Sorry about this. I don't know what's going on. Oh, maybe we'll play an ad first. All right, I'll just play an ad. Okay, we'll be right back. Sadly, that is almost all I know of my own language, because Indian residential schools impacted generations of both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. Now, our generation welcomes you to witness Ignite the Light on Friday, November 18th, a multimedia collaboration of film, poetry, and music on our collective history of Indian residential schools and social justice. Friday, November 18th at the W2 Media Arts Center, 111 West Hastings. Childminding will be available. Please email your RSVP to ignitethelight2011 at gmail.com. Louis Rial said, My people will sleep for 100 years, but when they awake, it will be the artists who give them their spirits back. Join us to ignite the light. Ooh. 
the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and uh, we were just shaking our tushes listening to, what was that Anna? Baseko Kriati's Bambuku Blues from <laughs> their album I Speak Fula it's from 2010, they signed with Sub um, Sub Pop Records, the Seattle label that signed Nirvana Really? Yes. Signed Nirvana. Now they're signing Mali Music. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, congratulations to Johnny, who snagged a pair of tickets to see two merchants at uh, UBC Theatre. You can uh, find out about the UBC Theatre show by going to theatre.ubc.ca and uh, see the show as well. It's playing until the 19th. All right, and we also have another pair of tickets to give away for a Monday screening at 7 p.m. at Scotiabank Theatre for Hugo in 3D, and it's a uh, Martin Scorsese film that's um, it's coming out on Monday, and it's sort of a, what does it say here? One of the most legendary directors of our time <laughs> takes you on an extraordinary adventure. There's a kid. <laughs> Are those explosions? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have tickets for that, and we'll give that away a little at the end of the show. We'll give that away at the end of the show, so stay with us till the end. Right. Specific Cinematech's Frames of Mind is a unique series that mixes screenings of great films with a vigorous discussion of psychology and mental health. They're celebrating 10 years and bringing back some of the most stimulating films from the last decade. One of those films is a documentary called Crazy Love, and it's on tonight at 7.30 p.m. at Pacific Cinematheque. It deals with domestic violence. Here's the official synopsis. <clears throat> when successful 32-year-old attorney... 
Bert Pugach met the naive and beautiful 21-year-old Linda Riss, theirs was a whirlwind romance that was the apex of 1950s high style. Unfortunately, Pugach was also hiding a long-suffering wife and a disabled daughter. When Linda found out, and Bert's repeated promises to divorce proved false, she broke off contact, eventually becoming engaged to regular guy Larry Schwartz. Enraged by jealousy, Bert set out to guarantee that if he couldn't have Linda, no one could. His actions would land him in jail, and that might have been the end of it, but fate would take many more strange, strange turns upon his release 14 years later. It's a documentary. Wow. Um, so Frames of Mind tonight will show Crazy Love. Then, afterward, health professionals will be on hand to answer questions on the troubling topic of domestic violence and spousal abuse. Specifically, Dr. Harry Stefanakis, a registered psychologist with more than 20 years' experience working with men who have assaulted their partners, and Kathleen McKay. She is a registered social worker and a clinical assistant professor for the Department of Emergency Medicine at UBC. She teaches in the area of domestic violence and health and works for Vancouver Community Health Mental Health as a mental health therapist at SAFER, S-A-F-E-R, Suicide Attempt Follow-Up Education and Research. Oof, that's quite a resume. I spoke to her about the... Uh, Sorry, I spoke to her about self-determination, something that health professionals uh, have to emphasize with victims of domestic violence. But first, here she is to tell us about the film, Crazy Love. Well, the film is Crazy Love, and this is a very interesting movie. It's a, it's a documentary, and it's about a couple um, uh, who meet in the 50s and uh, what happens with them at that time, and it uses real footage from the time. And these are... Um, you know, it's a beautiful young woman and a, a an up-and-coming lawyer, and uh, it's set in uh, New York City, mm-hmm. and quite uh, kind of glitzy at times. Uh, uh, he knew um, people in the film biz- business and things like that, and he swept this woman off her feet, and it's a story of their romance, and um, there's a lot of, you know, stuff involved. There's some deception, and it really is a story about domestic abuse. And there are a lot of surprising twists and turns to it. So very good production values, very nicely done film. And then what will happen after the film? Well, after the film, myself and Harry Stefanakis, who is a, uh, a psychologist who has worked with uh, male abusers, uh, will be around to uh, hear the comments that the uh, uh, folks in the audience have and to debrief a little bit around the issue of domestic abuse. Now, is this a, in terms of the format, is this something that's, uh, that you do all the time or is it fairly unique? And, and what is the, you know, what's the advantage of this kind of thing where people get to see a film that deals with the, the subject matter and then has a chance to actually talk about it with experts? Well, Frames of Mind has been around for quite a while, and this is a 10-year. They've looked back over 10 years, and they've picked a few films that really caught the imagination of people the first time around. Mm. So this film, Crazy Love, was shown a few years back, and... um, Harry and I were the discussants at that time as well, and it was received very well. It's it's kind of a, it's a surprising, shocking film in a way, so it got a lot of audience uh, interaction, and I've actually used the film again in mm. education sessions with other healthcare workers, because having a film allows you to enter into the subject matter in a fairly deep way, and you get emotionally involved, you get to know what mm. your own reactions are, and I think it's a very powerful way to learn about mental health issues, and that's what frames of mind is all about hmm. and I wonder what what is it what is the staying power of this film um, what is it that um, that you noticed the first time around that made you say wow this is something that we need to do again well it's uh, it, it just is it, it's very well put together mm-hmm. uh, and it, it it goes back to the 50s and then it also interviews these same people now and um, it's just a very unique story and because it is kind of um, not really famous people, but people who are, um, they're not what you would usually think of. We have a lot of stereotypes around the issue of domestic mm. violence, and this kind of blows those apart. Um, just the dynamics of it, it it's, it's unusual. And because the film is very well made, it's nice to watch. Right. Now tell me about those, those stereotypes. Uh, it sounds like there's a sort of a misconception that goes on, and then when people see the film, it's like, you know, it, it challenges that. Yes, it does, because there are some unique... Um, 
unique characteristics about the abuser and the abused here. Uh, some of the power dynamics are the same, and that's the you know the underlying uh, reality of domestic violence is that it, it is a power imbalance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that exists, but but there's a lot of different power plays actually that go on in in the film and. Uh, um, yeah, it's just unusual in a number of respects. Um, it, it is a man and a woman, which we typically think of, although that is certainly not the only form that domestic violence takes. Um, so in that way, it, it's what we would think. But it's a higher socioeconomic class. It's, there are a lot of interesting nuances that will be... A, it's a slightly different take on it. Hmm. Um, okay, and what, uh, what kinds of things come up in, in this, uh, this sort of event? What are you expecting people to, to um, talk about? I mean, is it, is it just a matter of uh, asking questions uh, about you know, what actually qualifies as domestic violence, or do people share their own stories, or, or what, what do you hear? Well, people struggle with why, how, <laughs> you know, how could this be? Why right. did this happen? Um, what were the motivations? Um, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's, it's hard to get your head around. And, and I think in healthcare, uh, a lot of what we do, it's all about self-determination. And when you think about people in difficult situations, we want to support them to make their own decisions. And sometimes those decisions are challenging for us because they, they fly in the face of what we think would be the right thing. Hmm. And this this film kind of challenges that, and so it, it really gets people going. <laughs> Self determination. So, do, do you mean that you try to emphasize that the the victim, let's say, um, you know, is empowered to to take action rather than a family member or, or something like that doing it for them? Well, that people can make their own decisions about what's right for them. Right. Yeah. That that's really what it is. Um, uh, so it, it's really up to them. We can guide them. We can we can put out options. But in the end, people do what they think is going to be the right thing for them. Right. You can't force them into no, something. No. No. You can't force them. And is that a, is that an issue in domestic violence that it, that it's hard for for the victim in the relationship to to sort of accept that that they need to change? Maybe. Uh, no, it's hard for us as the as the outsiders, uh-huh. as the healthcare workers or the service providers. It's hard for us to accept some of the changes that they do make. Sometimes they're congruent with what we would do, but sometimes they aren't. Hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's tough to kind of go along with that and respect that. Exactly. We do because that's their life, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, we've quickly run out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Frames well, of Mind? come and see the film because the film is great. You won't regret it. <laughs> Just for the <laughs> film alone, it's worth it, hey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is, truly. <laughs> that's Kathleen McKay telling us about Crazy Love as part of the Frames of Mind series at Pacific Cinema Tech. So that's, uh, ticket prices for that are ten fifty for adults and $9 for students and seniors, and that's happening tonight at 7.30 p.m. Tonight being Wednesday, November 16th, in case you forgot what the date is. There's a $3 annual membership required, and uh, if you don't know where it is, Pacific Cinema Tech is 1131 Howe Street in, uh, in Vancouver. And Anna, you, you went to a Frames of Mind. I did uh, last year. I think it was last winter. Um, they had a documentary. It's called... The Game of Death, the La Jeu yes. de Mort. Thank you. Yeah, you actually um, promoted it in the, the arts report, and that's why I went. Yeah, yeah, we did an interview for it, and yeah. um, it was a film where the filmmakers, the producers, they recreated this experiment that was done in the 50s where people had to... 60s, thank you, uh, had to administer what they thought were electric shocks uh, under the supervision or of, uh, of a scientist. Yeah. And they discovered after this that people would actually go quite far. Like there would be, th- and the thing was that they weren't actually doing that. It was actors pretending to get zapped, but there would be like, they would turn up the dial all the way to like crazy powerful, do not use, will kill the victim. And the, the you know, the guy in the lab coat would be like, you must do this. And he's like, mm, okay. And so, you know, the scientific community was shocked to learn about how far people will go when they are told to do so, so by someone yeah. who is uh, in a position of authority. Yeah. So it they did this in France. They recreate. They made a game show out of this. They made a game like, show out recently, of this in the and last a documentary years. that was part of the whole production. Like the documentary is part of like from the beginning how they are making this decision and if this is ethical to do to the, undergo this this game show mm-hmm. uh, formats because you are experimenting with an audience and they're not aware of it. That's the thing. Right. 
So, so they might be sort of harmed, which is always an issue in psychology. Exactly. It's so like, that the yeah. documentary itself was controversial because of why this, this, this was being this game show was produced in the first place. Okay. And it was to um, to argue that now it's not you are not you don't do as authority tells you, but you do as the media tells you. Okay. Or a large crowd, you know, because it was the audience on Facebook. the game. Yeah, <laughs> I like you better like. Um, so it's it was it was very interesting to see in a theater. First of all, it was great to be in movie theater and watch this, mm-hmm. and then afterwards have specialists talk about the the issue and the subject matters the documentary itself addresses. First mm. of all, the subject matters, and then the documentary itself, like analyze the piece of information you have right in front right, of you so like you how is this was this was this good was this a good idea for them to do do you think mm-hmm. it's a valid research uh, uh experience uh, no tool. um yes tool thank you um so it was great so i uh, would definitely recommend to go go to hmm. pacific cinematech to definitely this one out yeah definitely um maybe a little more interactive than seeing um immortals in 3d Yes, for sure. There was no, there was no panel discussion. <laughs> no, 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 no panel. last night. Just <laughs> too bad. I could, I would have appreciated something on like Greek mythology in modern day. Yeah, well, you could make that happen. Or you could just go to uh, Frames of Mind happening at Pacific Cinematheque yeah, yeah. now. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we'll talk about the local elections coming to Vancouver this. Saturday, uh, November 19th. Make sure you vote, uh, and we'll uh, look at the issue from the perspective of artists when we return. So stay with us. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Flaming Angels Boutique, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM, and we're streaming online at citr.ca. If you've missed any of today's program, you can catch the podcast in approximately 2.5 hours, uh, because that's how long it takes for it to upload after the show is done in about five minutes. And uh, you can find that at citr.ca. Just look under Shows and Podcasts and Arts Report, or just go to iTunes and uh, clack into your keyboard, Arts Report. And uh, you will find it there. So there's an election coming up, and certainly there are a lot of issues. One dominating the headlines now is the Occupy Vancouver demonstrations, which uh, are kind of following a trend worldwide of uh, implosion, (laughs) if I can use that word, Um, from Halifax to Victoria to New York. um, These these, um, occupations are sort of... uh, fizzling away, um, some in a more elegant fashion than others. Anyway, that's dominating the headlines, but maybe something that not so quite dominating the headlines is um, issues relevant to the arts and culture community. And so one group that's uh, trying to help that is the Alliance for Arts and Culture in BC, and they have uh, put together a sort of uh, Q&A survey that they sent out to all the candidates, and uh, a lot of candidates have written back. Not all of them, mind you, Gregor Robertson, uh, namely, did not write back, but uh, other vision... Uh, Vancouver members did. And so what uh, the Alliance asked uh, specifically, I'll give you an example of one of the questions they asked um, all the candidates to respond to, was um, the issue of uh, space for, for, for artists, because there's a problem where artists find a space, try to rent it out, and then they uh, butt heads with the city about zoning because the thing is zoned for something like light industrial or something like that and then there are these artists who are clearly not industrialists and they're like safety code violations and then they get shut down and it just becomes a very sad depressing situation where there's like these old warehouses that are not being used but on the other hand there are artists waiting to use them for creative purposes but aren't allowed to So here's an example of a question. Uh, Cope, NPA, and Vision have all endorsed policies for artists' studios. 
What these policies typically lack are measurable targets for preservation or, or allocation of suitable creative space and reference to specific public policy options that can be used to either regulate the real estate market or preserve exciting spaces. What are the available policy options uh, that haven't been used yet and how can they be used to stem the loss of studios and other creative spaces? So that was put out by the Alliance for Arts. And um, you can get the report right now from Alliance for Arts. Dot com. And so I'll give you two examples of some of the answers. Uh, this one's from Elizabeth Ball for uh, the NPA. And um, mandating more cultural space in new condo developments. So every time a condo is built in Vancouver, um, the city has to negotiate you know, a certain amount of space. So the city will say, yeah, you can build 30 towers, but if you put a daycare into your building, you can have 35 towers. So, sh- so Elizabeth Ball from the NPA is saying that there should be more uh, cultural spaces being mandated. So yeah, you want five more floors in your condo, put a gallery in there, something like that. Another idea is, um, this is from Kerry Jang from Vision Vancouver, and it says, creating 10,000 square feet more studio space for artists. Uh, I think this is using city of Vancouver uh, land and real estate. So there's an idea. And and I believe uh, Kerry Jang's idea is to do that in the next uh, session of council uh, following the election. So like, now, basically, as soon as, as soon as we win, says Kerry Jang, we will provide 10,000 more square feet of studio space for artists. So you can, fi- you can read all of the different candidates' uh, reactions to the survey. Um, the other questions, the other m- important questions in the survey include, uh, do you support an upgrade to the city of Vancouver's heritage register? And also about uh, what candidates will do about funding for the arts, uh, especially after the uh, Olympics. You know, there was a lot of funding that happened for the Olympics and then it all dried up afterward. So what will you do uh, if you win the election for um, for artists and artist uh, funding? Now, there's a website right now and it's out there uh, that seems to or that says that is speaking for artists. And it's called WeBackTheJuiceMan.ca. Juiceman being a reference, of course, to Gregor Robertson, who used to be uh, the head of Happy Planet juice uh, company and supposedly this website is artists coming together and saying that we as artists endorse Gregor Robertson and his vision team to win the election we like them better than NPA or COPE now it turns out that this website is actually funded partly by Vision Vancouver but it was created by the guys who did um, shitharperdid.com so you can debate as to how independent they are. On the one hand, uh, uh, advocates uh, in politics who have done some work independently. On the other hand, getting money from from Vision Vancouver. You decide. Um, But uh, so to give you an idea of what they are saying, um, here is a a YouTube clip from their website featuring Graham uh, Berglund, who puts on The Cheaper Show, which is a huge art show every year, or it's getting bigger and bigger, where... um, Mostly local artists uh, submit their works for the public to buy for 200 bucks each across the board. And tons of people who have never bought art before uh, line up. Like every year, more and more people like around the block line up to get uh, these pieces. So here's what he says. My name is Graham Berglund and I'm the creative director and founder of The Cheaper Show. The Cheaper Show is a one night art show where we showcase the work of 200 artists, 75% of which are local. This is a show that really offers a highly accessible and exciting environment where people can come down and buy possibly their first piece of art. The show has gone to being quite a massive event. We really had to reach out to the civic level to try to get some assistance with the production of the show where we were blown away by the response from Vision Vancouver. I sent just a single email to Councillor Kerry Jang. Next thing you know, we were sitting in City Hall, sitting with Gregor, sitting with Councillor Heather Deal. It was really amazing to see just how like genuinely enthusiastic they were about everything that we were doing. This ended up resulting in Gregor actually dedicating a day for us. Hereby proclaim Saturday, June 26th, the cheaper show day in the city of Vancouver. Thank you. All right, and so there's a clip from WeBackTheJuiceMan.ca, partly funded by Vision Vancouver, but um, but created by um, local political advocates, let's say. 
And so, well, I mean, that's all I got. I mean, uh, ultimately it comes uh, down to you as a voter to um, decide what candidates you like, which parties you support. Uh, the main parties are Vision Vancouver, uh, NPA, and COPE. And uh, NPA is sort of right-wing-ish, COPE is left-ish, and Vision Vancouver is center-ish. And I say ish because, you know, in local elections, uh, you know, they don't... You know, in, the, in like, it's all, it's all subjective what you define as right-wing, left-wing, because I think by any... By certainly by any American standard, all our parties are extremely left-wing. You know what I mean? Or, and by Canadian standards, I think you could still say that all of our local parties in Vancouver are left-leaning, uh, whether they're right-ish left-leaning or left-ish left-leaning. <laughs> so anyway, so when you vote on Saturday, uh, November the 19th, whether you're in Vancouver or any other city, because local elections are happening all over the Lower Mainland, and uh, get informed, go online and check out uh, allianceforarts.com and find out um, information for, for artists and what, which candidates um, are the best for artists and uh, read, read the, the candidates in their own words. Okay, that's the end of my spiel. Uh, this is the end of our uh, show today. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Um, don't forget to friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and everything else that happens in uh, the interweb land. Uh, you can do that just by going to citr.ca right now, and you'll just find all the links right there, as well as the info on all the features we had on today's show. So uh, for Anna and myself, Adam Janusz, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, join us. No, wait, join us next week, but but wait, I want to give tickets away to Hugo. So uh, call right now, 822 822-2487 and get tickets to see Monday's special screening of Hugo in 3D, a Martin Scorsese film. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>